welcome to Faith of Our Fathers. Today, we feature Dr. Donald R. Hubbard. He was senior pastor at Calvary Baptist Church in Manhattan from 1976 until 1986. Calvary was one of the earliest churches to operate its own radio station in 1923 and has a long tradition of widely followed religious broadcasts. The two Steinway Grand Pianos were donated by Van Clyburn, who attended the church periodically while living in the hotel. Today's message is Witnessing. thank you, our Father, for the joy and the blessing of being here in this place where God speaks to hearts. We thank you for all of our friends here, for those who've been serving us, for the administration here, we give you praise. For the colony of mercy and the testimonies that have been shared with us, we thank you, Father, for the way that you have ministered to hearts to free individuals from various forms of addiction because they're trusting Jesus Christ as Savior. Now we pray that tonight as we study your word that you will speak to our hearts and grant that we will understand your word and understanding it will be willing to apply it into our lives today. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to begin by telling you a story. It's out of the Bible. You need not turn to it. It's a very familiar story. And I want to tell you this story to set the scene for another story that Jesus tells in the Gospel of Luke. It's the story about Joseph that actually begins in Genesis chapter 37 when Joseph is 17 years of age. Joseph is one of 12 boys born to Jacob, as you know. And Joseph and Benjamin have the same mother. The other 10 brothers have other mothers. They have all the same father. It is quite obvious that God has singled out Joseph for a special ministry because Joseph has dreamed dreams. And in those dreams, he sees his brothers and his mother and father at some point bowing down to him. And the text tells us that the brothers hated him. And when he would repeat the dream, the text would say they hated him even more. The day came when the brothers took the family herd away to graze and the father, knowing that the ten boys were real rascals, they could get into trouble at any time. All you need to do is look at some of the previous chapters and you can see how concerned he would be about these boys out on their own. That he sent Joseph, his trusted son, a boy whom he had given the coat of many colors, which meant that he was the uh, real heir in the family, that he was exempt from annual labor and even receiving that coat of many colors, that too just uh, burned the other boys up. To the point that when they saw Joseph approaching, now they were way away from home, when they saw Joseph approaching, they said, here is the dreamer, let's kill him. That's a terrible thing for a family member to say about another family member. You remember the story how they took Joseph, they placed him in a cistern, in a dry well, and there they sat down to decide what they would do with him. It's interesting that in Genesis 37, you don't find any response from Joseph, but you do in Genesis chapter 42. For in Genesis chapter 42, it tells us that Joseph pled for his life 
with his brothers, even from within the confines of the system. I think it was Donald Gray Barnhouse who said that scientists could determine how fast and how quick the voice of Joseph would reach the ears of the brothers going that 25 feet from the vocal cords of Joseph to the ears of the brothers. But it took years for that message to reach their hearts. That's what I want to talk with you about tonight. Our brother's testimony tonight is a tremendous lead-in to what I believe the Lord would have us say to us. It is one thing for God's message to reach our minds. It is another thing for God to reach our hearts. Isn't that true? With that in mind, would you take your Bibles now and let's look at a very familiar parable in the Gospel of Luke. You'll find it in chapter 8. And it's the parable, some call it the parable of the sower, some call it the parable of the seed, others call it the parable of the soils. I like the title, The Parable of the Soils, because that is what it is really about. This is an extended passage of Scripture. Jesus tells the parable, beginning in verse 4 of Luke chapter 8, then there is an exhortation, an exposition as to why he teaches parables. Then following those few verses, you'll find an explanation of the parable that is given to us. So let's take a few moments now to read God's Word about this parable of the sower or the parable of the seed or the parable of the soils. And when much people were gathered together, I'm reading from Luke chapter 8 and verse 4, and were come to him out of every city, he spake by a parable. A sower went out to sow his seed, Jesus said, and as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trodden down, and the fowls of the air devoured it. And some fell upon a rock, and as soon as it was sprung up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it, and other fell on good ground, and sprang up and bare fruit a hundredfold. And when he had said these things, he cried, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. And the disciples asked him, saying, What might this parable be? And he said, Unto you it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to others in parables, that seeing they might not see, and hearing they might not understand. That seems like an enigmatic saying by Jesus. What he's really saying is, for those who are interested in pursuing spiritual truth, then the parable will awaken their interest to pursue that truth, and as they pursue that truth, God will reveal more truth to them. But for people who are not interested in pursuing spiritual truth, then the parable will be blind to them and that they will not be able to see, nor will they be able to hear. Verse 11, now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are they that hear, then cometh the devil and taketh away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. They on the rock are they which, when they hear, receive the word with joy, and these have no root which for a while believe, and in time of temptation fall away. And that which fell among thorns are they which, when they have heard, go forth and are choked with cares and riches and pleasures of this life, and bring no fruit to perfection. But that on the good ground are they which, in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it, and bring forth fruit with patience. And let's stop our reading there. 
Jesus tells a story, and the story is an agricultural setting in ancient Israel. In order to un understand the parable, we first are going to have to take a moment or two to understand the sowing techniques that they did in ancient Israel. The ground that they had in ancient Israel was a very rocky soil and had to be prepared as best as they could. And one of the things that they did would be that when the ground was as prepared as best as they could, they would have pathways upon which the sower would walk. The sower would not walk in and out of the fields, but there were designed pathways on which he would walk. The sower would have a bag at his side, usually at his waist, hung from the shoulder, suspended from the shoulder, in which the seed had been placed. And as he would walk along the path, he would reach into the bag, take a handful of seed, and with regular motion would scatter the seed, or what we call broadcast the seed. As he walked along, this seed would be scattered out, and the story of the parable has to do with what happened to the seed when it fell on four different kinds of soil. To understand the parable, we have to understand four words. May I give them to you right away? Take out your piece of paper. Let me give you these four words. This is really not the thrust of the parable, but in order for you and me to be able to understand it. They all begin with the letter S. The first word that we need to write down is the word sower. Jesus himself said, a sower went out to sow his seed in verse 5. So the first word in our little outline tonight is the word sower. The second word you would expect would be seed. This is one of the designations of Scripture that you have in the Bible. We'll talk about that in a moment. You have the sower, you have the seed. The third, soils. And notice that it is plural because this is the main thrust of the parable. This is the theme of what Jesus is saying. And Jesus likens the soils to four different kinds of hearts who receive the word, and what happens to that word is a story that is relevant to you and me today. Even those of us who sit under the ministry of the word, as we shall see. The fourth S that I would like to have you write down is the word significance. What's the significance of the parable? What is it that Jesus is really teaching us here? Now, all parables have a major theme. That is to say, there is one overriding theme or meaning to each of the parables. But there can also be secondary themes. And I believe this parable that we have before us tonight is one of those that convey a secondary theme that is very important to you and to me. But I'm ahead of myself. Let's take a moment or two and begin to explore the meaning of this parable as Jesus tells it. Remember, he says a sower went out to sow. Now, you talk back to me now and give me these four words that begin with S. Ready? Sower, seed, soils, and significance. Now, many Bible commentaries and many Bible teachers immediately assume that the sower is the Lord Jesus. And the reason that they do this is because in Matthew 13, that great parabolic chapter of the kingdom in Matthew 13, that the second parable, Jesus identifies himself as the sower. But please note in this parable that Jesus explains in Luke chapter 8 and in verse 11, he does not mention the sower at all. 
There is no definition given to the sower. This becomes important. Remember, the book of Jeremiah calls God a great sower. Also, believers in the Bible are called sowers. Psalm 126, verses 5 and 6, He that goeth forth bearing precious seed shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. God likens believers to a sower. We know that Jesus is a sower because of Matthew chapter 13 in the second parable. Why is not the sower identified? Because that is not the main point of the parable. The main point of the parable is what happens to the seed that has been shattered or scattered rather and showered upon the ground. The sower is anyone who takes the word of God and spreads the word of God. In this sense, you and I are sowers. Jesus is talking about us in the sense of our duty and our responsibility in sowing or broadcasting the word. Please note that the sower, his responsibility or her responsibility is to sow the seed. What happens to the seed is God's responsibility as it penetrates the various kinds of soil. The sower then is really not identified in the parable. It could be any one of us. That, I think, is clear and plain from the text. Look at the word seed. Notice in verse 11 we are told, now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. When you study the Bible, you find that God has an interesting way of using metaphors to describe the word of God. For an example, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, Peter identifies the word of God as the seed that we are born again with incorruptible seed. That is, the precious word of God. Interesting too, by the way, in 2 Peter, chapter, or rather 1 Peter chapter 2, the seed or the word of God is identified by the metaphor of milk, that it is milk. There are times in the scriptures when we are told to desire the sincere milk of the word that we may grow thereby. Sometimes it is referred to as meat, the meat of the word. There is another interesting metaphor of the word found in Ephesians chapter 5, and it's the word water, like what we saw in that beautiful video tonight of various ocean scenes. By the way, just as an interesting sidelight in your Bible study, in the New Testament, whenever water is used as a metaphor, and by the way, this is inevitably true, it's inexorably true, take it from me, that whenever the word water is used for drinking, for cons being consumed, it always refers to the Holy Spirit. Always refers to the Holy Spirit. When the metaphor water, the noun water, is used as a metaphor for cleansing to be applied externally, it always refers to the Word of God. So in Ephesians chapter 4, that how are we cleansed? By the application of the cleansing by the Word. So the sower is whomever is broadcasting the gospel seed, and the seed, by the way, is the Word of God. One other thing about the seed it is always good seed. There is no bad seed in this seed that the sower is described by Jesus as broadcasting. That brings us to the third and major point that you have here in the parable tonight.
And that is, what happens to the seed when it is sown? Now here, I want you to take your paper because Jesus is going to describe, and this is, I want you to write on your paper. May I tell you what to write just for a moment? Write the word primary. This is the primary application because a little later on, I want to give you a secondary application that I think you can by extension apply it, but first the primary application. Jesus is talking about four different kinds of hearts upon which that seed falls. This is true in church. This is true wherever the seed is broadcast. There are four different kinds of hearts that receive the seed. Keep in mind now the agricultural procedure and technique of the time that I described for you at the beginning. The first is what we call the resistant heart. The resistant heart. This is the soil that is very, very hard. Jesus describes it like this. Verse 12, those by the wayside are they that hear, then cometh the devil and taketh away the word out of their hearts. Or as Jesus describes it, he said, some fell by the wayside and it was trodden down and the fowls of the air devoured it. The first category would be the resistant heart. Those who resist the word where the word does not penetrate at all. I'm coming back to that in just a moment. The second kind of heart that Jesus speaks about, let's call it the shallow heart. What's the shallow heart? In ancient Israel, in many parts of the Middle East, there in Israel, you would have a thin layer of topsoil atop a limestone layer. By the way, this is how they made homes for poor people back in that day. You would skin off the layer of topsoil, very, very thin, and below you would find soft limestone rock. You would take a cutting tool and cut like a concrete block, like that, lift it out, and when you would put it into place and in building a wall, for an example, the dry air would harden the limestone rock and it would become a rock. This is how they made their homes in that day. What Jesus is calling attention to the fact is that when the seed is broadcast, there are those, that seed which fell upon the hard surfaces and it just lay there. The birds came and ate it up, said Jesus. The second category, the, the shallow heart, are these that fell upon the areas that only had a thin layer of topsoil. So that when moisture came or the sun came out, it would send down roots, but it wouldn't send down roots very far because it was shallow. And being shallow, it would be blocked by the limestone. There is no nutrition in limestone. And so Jesus says, this is what happens to this. Verse 13. They on the rock are they which, when they hear, receive the word with joy, and these have no root which for a while believe and in time of temptation or testing fall away. That's the second category. Again, we'll come back to that in a moment. The first is what kind of a heart class? The resistant heart. The second is the? Right down the third one. It's the crowded heart. Here, Jesus pictures like the corner of the field. In the corner of the field, there would be all kinds of weeds and thistles and things like that growing. And when the seed would fall in the midst of that, and it would begin to take some root, what would happen is that the presence of these foreign substances, in that sense, blocking the good growth, that it would crowd out the good seed. Jesus puts it like this in verse 14. And that which fell among thorns are they which, when they have heard, go forth and are choked with cares and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to perfection. 
They are crowded out. The resistant heart, the shallow heart, the crowded heart, and please notice only one of the four does the seed penetrate and bring forth fruit. This is what we call the good heart. Jesus says this in verse 15, but that on which the good ground are they which in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it and bring forth fruit with patience. These then are the four characteristics of different hearts that hear and receive the word. Notice that there is something that Jesus says in this text that happens to the seed. Again, I remind you, my responsibility is to present the word of God. God's responsibility is to take that word and to penetrate people's hearts with it by the Holy Spirit. I cannot do that. No matter how much I try through any kind of oral persuasion that I have, the main emphasis is what does the word say? What is the penetration of the heart? Now look at the first soil. Go back to the resistant heart. Here's the picture. Here is this pathway upon workers have been walking. They wear sandals or they go bare feet. Therefore, when a person keeps walking on the pathway, the ground will become tamped to where it will become very, very, very hard. Like any pathway that you know, no freshness of soil, it has been beaten down and it has been tamped down very hard. When the seed falls upon this that Jesus calls the resistant or the hard soil, it does not penetrate at all, but it lies on the surface to be exposed. Jesus said what happens in this situation is that the birds of the air come and devour the seed. What happens to the seed? Write this down. Jesus says it is stolen by Satan. Notice the text and the exposition that Jesus gives in verse 13, or rather verse 12. These are by the wayside, are they that hear, then cometh the devil and taketh away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. Wherever the word is preached, the devil is also at work. By the way, that's true here at Keswick. Wherever the word is preached, the devil wants to steal the seed. He does not want that seed to find lodging in the heart. And that's the reason why that many, many people today, when they hear the word of God, it is the hard soil, the resistant soil, and if there is no response to it, the devil will come and steal it right out of their lives so that they do not remember it unless the ministry of the Spirit of God brings it to their hearts. Look at the second soil, what we call the shallow heart. Notice here the imagery changes. Here there is some depth, but little depth. Jesus calls it the shallow, or if you want the, a better expression, he puts it like this in verse 13. They on the rock are they which when they hear receive the word with joy, and these have no root, which for a while believe and in time of temptation fall away. Now these are the folk, Jesus says, who their initial response to the seed is one with great emotionalism. I'm not against emotion, but emotion is no substitute for the good word of God lodging deep within the heart. If we live by emotion, sooner or later we're going to have a problem. We need to be living by what the scripture teaches. 
What happens to the seed? This is the point that Jesus is driving home. What happens to the seed? In this case, write this down in your notes, under number two, the shallow heart, it is starved by the flesh. There is no root in themselves. There is nothing there that will bring nutrition to the roots as the seed wants to take root, but there is no real response to it. So you find this, they have no root which for a while believe in time of temptation fall away. So the resistant heart, the seed is stolen by Satan, and in the, in the shallow heart, the seed is what? Starved by the flesh. Now already you've seen the trinity of evil at work here, and you've got the devil, and you've got the flesh. What's remaining? The world. Take a look at the next heart, the crowded heart. Jesus explains it like this in verse 14. And that which fell among thorns are they which, when they have heard, go forth and are choked with cares and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to perfection. The crowded heart is one that is strangled by the world. It's choked. It's crowded out. And you and I know some folk who, though they've been exposed to the Word, have allowed themselves to be persuaded by their culture to pursue these cares and these riches and pleasures of this life. So Jesus says that three-fourths of those who hear the Word will have this kind of response to it. But thank God, there are those who receive the Word as a good heart. And this is the focus of what Jesus says in verse 15. The good heart, then, is that soil which has obviously been prepared by the Holy Spirit. It receives the seed, and as it receives the seed, the seed does its work, and as the seed does its work, it bears fruit. In Matthew, for an example, it would be some 30-fold, some 60-fold, some 100-fold. Luke does not add that here. He just says, hearing the word, keep it and bring forth fruit with patience. Those, then, are the four different kinds of hearts. That's the primary application of the text. Are we clear about that? Nod your head yes, okay? Now, would you write the word secondary down? I wouldn't start a new denomination over this, but let me make a suggestion to you, because I do think that there is a secondary application here that is warranted that addresses this, and this is one of my concerns for my own life as well as your life as well. You listen to me teach the Word. You listen to your pastor teach the Word. You listen to your Sunday school teacher teach the Word. Perhaps from time to time you'll turn on television and listen to one of the television preachers, or you will listen by way of radio or tape, whatever be the way that the seed comes into your heart. But did you ever stop to think that it is absolutely possible that we as believers may respond to different situations in ways that are described by what Jesus has said in this parable. Let me put it to you like this. A secondary application would be that this describes the different responses that I make 
to various pressure points that come into my life. Are you with me so far? Now, let me go a step further. I've got an onion up here, and I want to peel it by the layers to where we see where this is headed. As a believer, there may be those areas in my life that the Word tells me what I need to do, but for some reason I want to hold on to it, and I'm resistant. Mind you, I love Jesus. Mind you, I'm born again. But there may be some areas in my life where when the Scripture says, you don't do that, I turn a deaf ear to what the Scripture says. How do I know that's true? Because the Scripture says, let no bitterness, malice, clamor, or evil speaking be named among you. And yet, how many of us struggle with that kind of a problem? Go, if you would, please, to what Paul calls the deeds or the works of the flesh in Galatians chapter 5. We are not to do anything like that, and yet there are times. How else do you explain Christians getting into moral sin? How else do you explain Christians giving behavior characteristics or bad attitudes? It is because though we know better, and we do, but in a pressure-packed moment, our response may not be what it ought to. In that moment, we may have a resistant heart. Mind you, while we may have a resistant heart there, we may have a sympathetic heart to the poor of the world. When a picture is shown to us of starving children, we feel, hey, maybe we should be giving $50 or $100 to help. Same heart, different responses. Do you understand what I'm saying? This, I think, becomes a devastating thing for us. And that's the reason I began, that it's one thing for a message to reach our ears. It is another thing for it to reach our hearts. In each of these, I could name you pastors, friends of mine, who are not finishing well for God, thoroughly evangelical in their convictions, and yet they have side-tripped themselves into some kind of moral sin. They know better. They knew better. And yet they made bad choices, resistant hearts. I could name you some other Christians who are very shallow in their commitment that they will say they will do something and they don't follow through with it at all, that they do not wish to become involved. They are like the shallow-hearted person. Their depth is not depth at all. The word needs to penetrate deeper. Or the crowded heart, where in our culture, we are allowing our culture to dictate many of our convictions for us. And so we become pleasure mad or the cares of this world or riches or whatever have you said, Jesus, that it crowds out the word. Same heart, but different responses to different areas. That's the reason why that in this secondary application, I began by saying it took hardly a moment for the voice of Joseph to reach the ears of the brothers, but it took years for that voice to reach their hearts. What about your heart tonight? What about my heart tonight? Am I fully open to the Lord in all aspects of my Christian experience? so that I might say to the Lord, Lord, you are Lord of my life. And that I want that to be that good heart, not resistant, not shallow, not crowded, but focused on you, so that you are all in all to me.
And let me share with you a story. It's a little long, a true story out of my own experience, how I learned this great truth about allowing the word to take its place in the heart. Many, many years ago, Joy and I met when we were in the university, Miami University in Oxford, Ohio. We fell in love there on that campus, a secular school. I was one year ahead of her in my undergraduate program, and so we were married when I graduated. She had one more year to go. So I decided not to go to seminary, but rather I would be out of school for a year and I would work while Joy would finish her undergraduate degree. God opened the door for me to pastor two rural churches and also be the principal of an elementary school in that year. And these were small rural churches there in southern Ohio. A great and wonderful experience. We held a revival meeting in one of these communities in southern Ohio. And at the close of the service, I noticed a young mother with a baby in her arms. It looked almost like a newborn. She was obviously under conviction. I was uh, concerned about her. I prayed for her. And just as the invitation began to be sung, the baby began to cry. And the mother, not wanting to disturb the audience, took the baby out of our little auditorium and went outside. And evidently she went home because she never came back. I asked around, found out who she was. And the next day after school, after school was over, I was principal of the school and a teacher, I went to her apartment. Her apartment was above a bar in that little community that you reached by an outside wooden staircase. Do you get the picture? So I went up, knocked on the door. She recognized me, said, please come in. I went into the living room and sat down. It was right over the bar. And just as I started to speak to her about her soul's need, her husband walked in with his brother. Now, they were big. I mean, they were big. They were National Football League big. Do you get the picture? He's the owner of the bar down below. The wife says, this is Pastor Hubbard. And they just grunted and went out into the kitchen. So they're in the kitchen, and I turn and I start to speak to the mother. And she's under conviction, and she begins to cry. The husband comes out of the kitchen he looks at me, and he looks at his watch, and he says, I'll give you 30 seconds to get out of this apartment, or I'll throw you down the stairs. I made it in 18. <laughs> I, uh, I, I, I have courage, but I'm not stupid. He's big. He could easily do it, and I'd rather walk down than be thrown down. How do I remember that? Because I've not been thrown out of very many places. I was crushed. I was crushed. I went back to the church, opened it, went in, and knelt before the altar and pled with God for that mother and for that family, and nothing happened. Nothing happened. I finished that year. I went away to seminary. I was gone for three years. In the providence of God, we came back to within a short driving distance from that little community to an industrial town called Hamilton, Ohio, where I had my first real church after seminary. After I'd been there about a year or two, which would make it about five years later from what we were in this little community, there was a big man, I mean big, NFL big, who came forward at the invitation one morning. And I said to him, why have you come forward? And he says, you don't recognize me, do you? 
And I said, no, I, I don't. And he said, um, do you remember an incident, and he named the little town, when you were asked to leave an apartment? Yeah, yeah, I, I remember that all right. And he said, well, he said, I'm the brother of the man who asked you to leave. He said, I was, he and I were out in the kitchen. We were listening to everything that you said. And he said, I want to come to faith in Christ. And this was five years later. Now, that's, that's a wonderful story, isn't it? But that's not the end of the story. Go ahead 25 to 27 years. 25 to 27 years later. Now, I had moved away, had gone to Florida, and um, had come, gone to New York, to Philadelphia, had gone to New York, and I was back in Florida. And this church, the first church, had been wanting me to come back for a series of meetings, but I never could fit it into my schedule. My schedule is usually three years ahead of time. And so it just so happened that my schedule was free, and Joy and I found ourselves back at this church, the first church that I pastored after I graduated from seminary. And I mentioned this story because it was on my mind when I came back. And the pastor said, I want you to meet a person tonight after church. They'll be here. I said, fine. Didn't think another thing about it. And there was a uh, mother there with a uh, young baby. And after the meeting, I, was, I went up to her, taken by the pastor, and I was introduced to her, and I didn't recognize the name at all. And she said, do you remember a situation many years ago when there was a young mother with a newborn baby that left a church service, and the next day you went to visit them in an apartment, and you were asked to leave? And I said, I sure do. And she said, I'm the baby. The one that the mother held in her arms. This is about 27 years. In other words, she's about 32, 33 years of age. And I said, what happened to your mother? She said her mother became a believer that the word had penetrated her heart. And at some point in time, she didn't tell me when, but her mother had become a believer. And I said, what about your dad? He said, my father was killed. Uh, was murdered uh, some years ago. Uh, of course, he was the owner of the bar down below. And this story where God allowed us to see the visible results of the seed that had been sown falling upon different hearts. The heart of the father was a resistant heart. The heart of the brother, when he first heard the word, was a shallow heart or a crowded heart. The heart of the mother was not a heart that responded immediately, but later on it did. The seed took root. And that's why I'm suggesting to you tonight that never, ever give up in sowing the seed. You never know when God the Holy Spirit is going to bring that seed to fruition. It may take years it may only take a few days. It may take years. But God has said that his word will not return void, but it will accomplish the purpose for which he set it off. That's the reason why in the primary application of the text, you and I need to be faithful in sharing the seed and sowing the seed. In the secondary application of this parable, we need to make sure that our hearts belong to the Lord. Book of Proverbs says, my son, 
Give me your heart. Does your heart fully belong to the Lord Jesus? Or is there a spirit of resistance? Is there a condition of shallowness? Are you allowing the word to be crowded out of your life by cares and pleasures and riches? Or is your life, your heart, that soil where the seed will take full effect to bring fruit unto perfection? I pray that that's my heart, don't you? And I pray that that's your heart as well. Take these truths and let the Lord kind of search your own hearts about how your heart is and the condition of your heart before the Lord. Let's bow our hearts in a word of prayer, please. We do thank you, our Father, that you know our hearts better than we know ourselves. And we pray that our hearts might be open to you in every way, that as we receive the seed of the word, that that word will take root in our lives, and that the devil will not be able to steal it, our flesh will not starve it, and the world will not strangle it. But help us, Father, to be the soil out of which comes fruit unto perfection, maturity. And God grant that our lives might demonstrate that the Word is working in our hearts even now. And for what you do, we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to Dr. Donald R. Hubbard. Listen to Faith of Our Fathers each Sunday to hear more great 20th century preachers.